let Pete preach. <laughs> so if you could turn with your Bibles while Pete preaches uh, to First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. If you don't have a Bible and we have any left, would you just put up your hand and someone will come and, and give a Bible to you? If that's your first Bible, keep it. If it's not, please return it so that next week you can use it again. Okay, there's no one that's great. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, as an, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is news to proclaim. Thank you for my buddy Pete. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you have done in his life to bring him to this point. And I pray you would calm him and give him, again, the fire and truth that he needs to, uh, he needs to deliver us the message this morning, Jesus. Uh, thank you uh, for your word. May we hear it with open hearts and have the courage to obey what we hear, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, a round of applause for the guy with the finest boots in Urban Grace. Yeah, so um, this is my first time preaching. I'm going to throw this at you. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of people ask me, was I nervous today? And there's, there is a healthy uh, bit of nervousness in me and also a, a healthy bit of fear. But um, there's also a weight to it. And uh, here at Urban Grace, we put a lot of emphasis on preaching. The preaching of the Word is important. And... Um, I, I've kind of thought about that the last few days, and just the responsibility that's been given me is, is a great one, to preach the gospel to people, uh, to you guys. And uh, I don't take it lightly. Um, and, you know, it's in the Bible that Christ says I shouldn't take it lightly, that I will be held accountable for what I say. So, so there is that weight. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm happy to do it, and I'm excited to do it. And, uh, uh, I hope I can give you guys some good news today. But yeah, so we're continuing our uh, our series in in First Peter, 
And it's a series uh, called Tested, as you can see. And uh, just to give you kind of a recap of where we've been, this is our first, fifth week of this series. And uh, week one, we talked about who Peter was. So this letter, it's a, it's, it's a book in the New Testament, but it's a letter written by Peter, um, an apostle. And uh, Peter was, was, was a disciple of Jesus. So when Jesus started his earthly ministry, he chose 12 men to follow him around and, and, and watch him and learn from him. And, and to hear his teaching and to become his disciples. Um, and then later, the uh, you know, apostle Peter got, the apostle part got tagged on. So an apostle was someone who actually saw the, the risen Christ. But uh, Peter was a tested man. And he was um, uh, tested through, through uh, suffering. And, uh, and he was a man that, that uh, failed a lot. He was... Uh, you know, in, right before Jesus' crucifixion, he denied Jesus three times when it was put to him. Um, like, do you know, do you know Jesus? And, uh, and he, you know, he failed those tests. But, uh, but he was a man that, uh, that uh, God created a strong faith in him because of these tests. And, uh, and he would later die for this faith. That's how strong his faith was. And, uh, and Jesus would later go on to build his church upon Peter. Peter was the, the guy that founding member or founding father of the church. And, uh, and Jesus, Jesus built his church upon tested men. And uh, he did it then, and he's continuing to do it today. Uh, week two, we, uh, we, Trev talked about just a living hope, a future hope, a hope unfading. I hope that we can bank everything on. Um, I hope that, you know, one day we will be with Jesus in heaven. Um, and this has uh, been an extremely comforting text for me uh, as I, uh, you know, look, look around at uh, different people in my life and I start to compare myself to them. Oh, Jesus, look what you're giving them. And I, and I don't realize my own, uh, how Jesus has, has blessed me. Um, but then I go and I, and I read this text, and I remember what Jesus has given me in the future. He's given me today, but also what, what I'm going towards, that I'm going to, this, to, this, uh, to heaven to be with Jesus, to be sinless. Um, week three was a call to holiness. And the, the, the holiness we were talking about was less about what we do and don't do, um, but more in increasing in our Christ-likeness. And increasing in our love is also a call to, to action. Um, Trev said we're to gird up the loins of our mind. Actually, the Bible says that. Trev, uh, Trev, uh, Trev uh, just read it out of the Bible. But, um, but yeah, we're to we're to gird up the loins of our mind, which means we're to pre- prepare for action. Um, so the ways we prepare for action was we know the story. Of Jesus, we know the gospel, and uh, and then we know our own stories and how we can how th- the story of Jesus affects our own lives and how we can apply that to our own lives. And this is where city groups can be really helpful. The groups that Trev was talking about in the in the uh, in the announcements, getting together in these groups to talk about Jesus and the way it applies uh, to our lives um, can be really helpful. And then week four was uh, that we're called people. Um, a royal priesthood, 
people belonging to Jesus, that our confidence is Christ, and that our confidence is Christ is the cornerstone, and we can put our faith on those cornerstones, or on his cornerstone, and, and have confidence that it will hold, it will, it will withstand the tests. Um, and now, today, we're going to talk about submission to authority, and there's three points of context that, uh, that I want to bring up. And the first one is that this letter is written to Christians. So Peter assumes some things that the, the people he was writing to in Asia, that's, where, that's the churches he was writing to, they're, they're Christians. So they're assuming, or Peter's assuming that they know that God is their ultimate authority. Um, and this is important for our, uh, to understand this text. But now, if you're not a Christian here today, I just want to ask you, please, please don't zone out. This is still for you. Much of the New Testament, all the letters in the New Testament are written to Christians. They're written to churches in different, uh, different areas of, of the world. So the book of Romans, it's a letter written to the church in Rome. Or the book of Galatians is, written, is a letter written to the church in Galatia. Um, but there's still things for you to hear today. Uh, the second point of context is that this is written to persecuted Christians. Uh, it assumes that these people are undergoing suffering and persecution. We don't know to what degree the persecution is. Um, at the very least, it's slander and social ostracism. But, uh, but there is uh, some type of persecution going on. And then the third point of context, uh, something that we've, we've talked about uh, before, um, in the previous messages, but uh, this is written to exiles, that they're foreigners in the land. They don't belong to the, the areas where they're from. They belong, first and foremost, to the kingdom of Jesus. And that's also important for our context. But, yeah, now we get into the text, and I just want to pray and ask Jesus for help for me. Uh, mainly, and then also you would hear. But uh, Jesus, thanks for your word. Um, Jesus, just help me to uh, explain it clearly and concisely. And um, I pray for the people here today that they would uh, have open ears, that they would be able to understand uh, your gospel. Yeah, amen. Now we're getting into the text, so I'm just going to read the first little bit. I've broken it up into three three kind of sections. And the first one, I, I don't have a PowerPoint today, sorry, but that's, that was my decision. Um, the, first, the first bit is the call to submit to government. And I'm just going to read, read the, the, where, where I'm, you know, why I'm saying this. Uh, it's verses uh, or 2, 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So there's a few things I want to point out particularly here. Um, in verse 13, you see this, every human institution. And this is, this is the junk drawer for all human established authorities. 
So it's, it's the government of Canada, it's the government of Alberta, it's the government of Calgary. Don't be the loophole person. There's no, there's no way around this. It's whatever our society has established for authority. Um, and uh, in this text, it re- specifically refers to the emperor. And this is Caesar, uh, the, the emperor of Rome. And then also in verse 14, point out the reason God has put or there, there is authority, there is governments, and, and God's purpose for governments is it's to protection, it's to protect us, and to maintain civil order. And I think our government has done all right at this. You know, it was a couple weeks ago, there was a shooting and a murder outside my apartment. It's actually our city group was meeting at the time, and we heard the shots ring out, and, and we could hear, uh, we could actually hear someone yelling for help, but uh, we went to the balcony and I, th- I think it was within a minute, you know, the police were there bringing, bringing order to a, to a chaotic situation. And this is God's purpose for government, to maintain order. But here's the thing. God is sovereign. God is ultimately in authority over these governments. He has put them in power. He's not worried that they will restrict him. He's not sitting up in heaven <laughs> saying, oh, if only Stephen Harper wasn't, wasn't in charge in Canada, then I could really move in the country. Or he's not saying, man, if Calgary didn't elect Nahid Nenshi last week, man, then I could plant some churches in Calgary. No, he's not frustrated by those in power. God uses ruling authorities for his purposes. And the best illustration that I can think of with this is that the story of Pilate, um, before Jesus' crucifixion. So, so Pilate, he's a Roman government, it, governor. It, uh, it refers to him in the text right there. Every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Pilate was a governor sent by Caesar to oversee the area of Jerusalem. And at the time of uh, when Jesus was, was, uh, was crucified. And um, Pilate was used by God to bring about the gospel, the good news. God used him to, to save us, uh, to put Jesus on a cross so that Jesus would pay for our sins, would satisfy God's wrath, and then also conquer death. So is this our testing? Do we trust Jesus? Do we trust God? Do we trust that he's sovereign over all these things? We're tested so that we can trust Christ. Not ourselves, not our own abilities, not our own social standing, our own positions in, uh, you know, in our jobs, but to trust Christ. Peter's also here reminding Christians that submission to government is God's will. Um, when I was studying for this, uh, this, this message, this, this sermon, uh, I was reading a bunch of the different commentaries and and many of them agreed that um, at the time, or the, to the people that Peter's writing to, um, the Christians there were giving society a reason to be annoyed. I don't, know, I don't know what exactly it was. Maybe it was asking for free stuff. You know, I think that's what we do as churches here today. We always think we can get the, the freebie. Like, I'm a church. Give me something for free. Um, and and that's a, I think that's annoying to our community, to be honest. It would annoy me. 
But uh, anyways, Peter wants to correct this, and he wants to do it for the sake of mission. He wants to silence those claims against, um, against us to show that we're of another kingdom, a better kingdom, a gospel kingdom, a Christ-centered kingdom. Show that we're of a, of a kingdom where there's true freedom in Christ, a life not enslaved to sin. So in there it says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's living as free people from enslavement to sin. This isn't, this isn't freedom to do whatever, whatever you want. It's freedom, it's freedom from sin. It's enslavement to, enslavement to Christ. And I think also this is, this is uh, we're submitted to the government just for the sake of betterment, to better our city. Um, and I want to make particular call to this church um, a particular call that this is a church that the city needs and wants that we're needed in that we preach the gospel, we proclaim Christ um, but that we're also wanted that if this church were to cease to exist tomorrow, this city would be saddened that we're not around, this community Kensington would be saddened that we're not here um, our call to submit to government does not make our ultimate authority government. It makes our ultimate authority Christ. Willingly submitting to our government's laws and rules, acknowledging the government's authority to make laws, even though we may disagree, or maybe or morally or ethically deficient, shows that ultimately we are slaves to Christ. We are ultimately under His authority of his kingdom, of his rule, that we belong to him, that we fear God, not man. And of his kingdom, I want to point us back to Exodus, well, the book of Exodus, and specifically Exodus 19. But the book of Exodus is a story of God bringing his people out of Egypt. So, so the Israelites, God's chosen people, they're in Egypt. They're under slavery and oppression in Egypt. And God brings them out. He gives them freedom. Um, and, uh, and then in Exodus 19, they're at Mount Sinai. And they're, they're in the wilderness. So they go, they go out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And they spend 40 years in the wilderness. Um, and this is where God is establishing his kingdom. And then particularly in Exodus 19, God makes a covenant. So we talked about a covenant earlier. And, and all covenants are marked with the shedding of blood. And Israel, the Israelites at the time, in short, foreshadowing Jesus, shed the blood of an animal. So they, they sacrificed an animal and then sprinkled the blood on themselves to mark the covenant. And this covenant, and followed by God putting into place uh, law in Leviticus, was the establishment of his kingdom. And then... Fast forward to today, or fast forward to first the time of when Peter wrote this letter, and then here today in Calgary, God has established his kingdom, but it's with the shed blood of Jesus. And he's marked his covenant, he's, marked, he's established his kingdom here today with the shed blood of Jesus. So we can trust God. We can undergo the testing that comes with submitting to the government that we don't agree with because our confidence is in the shed blood of our murdered, executed Savior, Jesus. And I, want to say it, I, want to, I wanted to say it like that, 
murdered, executed savior because that's what it was. He was executed at the hands of a government. We can't take the, the, the civil order out of that. You know, we, we tend to say, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and we've, we've, we've almost watered that down a little bit. But when we really think what happened there, he was, we worship a God who was murdered and executed by the government. It's good news. Um, moving on to the next part of the text. It's the call to submit to masters. Um, and the first, the first word there in verse 18, if, if you're following along in the ESV, it's servants. Um, and uh, uh, some translations will use slave. Uh, the NLT will use slave if you have that. Um, and, and the word slave... When First Peter, or when Peter was writing First Peter, uh, this letter um, didn't have the negative connotations that it does today. It was, uh, you know, the American slave trade really, really brought in a, a negative negativity to that word. That's that's probably due. I'm not I'm not saying it's not um, it's not a negative thing, but uh, but these these slaves servants were. Uh, we can take that to mean um, that uh, this text is talking about bosses, professors, teachers, those individuals in authority over us. Um, it's, not, it's not husband or wives to husbands. That's in the next uh, text. Trey's going to preach on that uh, in, a, in a week. But uh, the reason for our submission is that our submission points us to Christ, that um, Submission to our masters is actually submission to God. It's one way we can honor him. Um, in verse 19, here it says, uh, mindful of God. There's that phrase in, in verse 19, mindful of God. And there's two points I want to make here that are very important. That we undergo suffering, we undergo mistreatment by authorities by being focused on Christ, by being Christ-centered, by almost having tunnel vision for Christ. Um, and that the only way we can get through testing is with our eyes on Jesus. Um, mindful of Christ also means that we're, we're ultimately under his authority. We ultimately work for Jesus. And s- submission is an image and pattern of the gospel. Submission is required by the gospel. No one can come to the gospel with a proud heart. It's a barrier to the gospel. You can't, you can't come to the gospel... And say with proud heart, because you have to admit that you're a sinner um, in order to come to the gospel. You have to realize the spirit. The spirit will convict you of that, but you have to you have to have the humility to hear that word and understand that. So we must come with humble hearts. This is why a proud heart can be so devastating for us. But when we realize that that a gospel that the gospel is a pattern for submission, we realize that everyone is required to submit. A wife to husband, husband to church leadership, church leadership to Christ, child to parent. Church leadership, once they're outside of the church, they're submitting to their bosses, to the government. So, so everyone submits. It's a pattern of the gospel. It's required by the gospel. Now, not all authorities are tough to submit to. Just one of the examples is, is I submit to, to Pastor Trev. Um, we both sit on the, the task force, which is kind of our, our board here at Urban Grace, and, and I submit to, to his leadership as the lead pastor. But that hasn't been that tough for me. 
Um, it's it's actually been <laughs> yeah, it's actually been quite easy. You know, he's he's just not he's just he's good to me. He's a good leader, um, but some authorities are hard to submit to. And one thing I want to make really clear clear here is that this is not submission to a master who is asking you to sin. Your ultimate authority is Christ. It's also not a call to roll over in every situation. We can stand up and be heard. There's just a time and a place for it. The submission we're talking about is acknowledgement that certain people are in authority over us. Even when we don't agree with them. That they may treat us unfairly. They're not, they're not morally upright. We, sp- we respect them and their position. We fear them. Fear here is the healthy desire to avoid one's displeasure. means that we try and do our unjust boss right. We still do our best work for our unjust boss. We get to work on time. We don't take cheap shots at her, him or her in a meeting. This is how the Christian can surprise this is how we can follow in Christ's steps. It says that in the text, that we're to follow in Christ, Christ's steps. Keeping our eyes fully locked on Him. God credits us when we submit to an unjust boss. It's not a credit of salvation or favor, but of pleasure. It is pleasing to Him. You will feel your Father's joy. Salvation and favor have already been given to you. Jesus has accomplished your salvation. He has done the work on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against your sin. He's done that. Favor has been poured out abundantly to you. Just the fact that that you're here, hearing Jesus proclaimed at this church, is, is God's unmerited favor towards you. But what's your response to injustice towards you? Is it revenge? Is it malice, slander? We heard that about that in the last in the last message. Or do you patiently endure the trial, patiently endure the test, understanding that Jesus is testing you, understanding that Jesus is using this to strengthen you and make you true? One of the uh, uh, a, a video that I've come across on on Vimeo is uh, is by it's by a group called John Neiman or, or John Neiman Tools, and they're they're a bunch of blacksmiths out of Latvia, and they make the coolest tools you've ever seen. And, and maybe what's cooler is how they make them, but, but there's one, there's one uh, video on video, Vimeo where they make a, a knife. And so they take, uh, they take this piece of steel and heat it up in the fire, and they take it to the anvil and, just, and bang it out, and they flatten it, and, it, and, it, and it's long. And they, they're banging out the impurities in the steel to try and make it strong. And they do this eight times. To, to, to create the, the strongest steel that they can. And it's, I thought this was just a, such a great illustration of testing in our lives that, that Jesus bangs us out over the anvil to make us strong and true, to make our faith strong. But, but back to patiently enduring the trial. Um, understanding that this is his plan to make you more like him, to make you more Christ-like. And understanding that this is maybe the way you might win someone to Christ's kingdom by submission to authority. But rebellion, rebellion is wrong. Rebellion shows distrust of God. It says, I don't trust your sovereignty over this situation. It says, I trust myself 
more than I trust you. It shows we fear man more than we fear God. Fear of man is sin. It cares more for what people think than what God thinks. Fear of man cares more what people can provide than what God can provide. Fear of man says, I can care, I can provide for myself. Fear of man indicates Jesus is on the periphery. Rather than being mindful of God, Jesus being the center, he's on the fringe. Fear of man is idolatry. It makes man God. Repent of fear of man today. Repent means turning away from fear of man, turning to, to, to Jesus, turning from your sin, turning from your idolatry. But willingly submitting to authorities shows we fear God more than we fear man. It shows we trust, or it shows that God is God. It shows that we trust the Father. It shows we're willing to undergo testing and trials to be more Christ-like. It shows our ultimate authority is Christ. It shows we are, we are slaves to Christ. We as Christians are a called people. Jesus has called, him, called us to himself. He has pursued us. He has chosen us. He has done the work on the cross and through the Spirit given us new hearts. We are part of his kingdom. He is our shepherd. We are part of his household. He is our father. As part of being his, we now work for him. In verse 21 of this text, we get the why of the calling of submission to the authorities of our lives. Christ suffered for you, and we are called to follow in his steps. We are called to suffer. The life of the Christian includes suffering. It is required of the Christian to follow in Jesus' steps and suffer. This is a pattern of the gospel. I won't say it's the pattern of the gospel, but it's most definitely one. In following in Jesus' footsteps, we know we can have confidence that whatever we are going through, He can identify with us. Last week, for the benediction, I read Hebrews 4, 14-16. And uh, it was such a good word. I'm going to read it again. You didn't get that. But I'll read it again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted. We can also put in tested there. Respect has been tested, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I wanted to read that because it's so good for understanding of following in Jesus' steps. It is a promise that we can put our confidence in Christ, that in the messes of our lives, some that are self-induced, others that are not, but whatever it is, our confidence can be Jesus. His work on the cross to, to satisfy God's wrath wrath against us and his resurrection that we can have life with him a living hope remember back in uh, the, the second message of this series that we're going to a living hope the whole point of Jesus life was to suffer he continually submitted himself to authorities no he never sinned he was truly submitted to his father he continually looked to the father and did the will of the father Jesus was tested. He was tested in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. 
And he was tested throughout, looking to the Father. He was tested at the end. You see this as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. So right before he goes, right before his crucifixion, he goes to the garden and he prays to God. And he asks God, if there's any other way, can you let this cup pass from me? If there's any other way, don't do that instead of, instead of what you have planned. But he's tested for us. Tested as we are, yet without sin. The point of Jesus' life was to suffer. To suffer unjustly on the cross for us. The pattern of the gospel calls us to suffering and testing so we know, so we know our faith to be strong. That we know Christ is who he says he is. To know Jesus deeper. To understand God's rest deeper. Jesus' life was one of continually suffering. Continual humility. Continually submitting to the will of the Father. Jesus continues to entrust his Father. At the beginning of his ministry, he's baptized. Jesus is baptized. His baptism signifies a submission to the will of his Father. Unlike us, Jesus is sinless. And, and, and baptism is the symbol of dying to oneself. So when we have baptisms here, we'll fill a tub with water, and we'll, the person being baptized will go under the water, and the water signifies death. So it's dying to oneself and then being risen up in Christ. Um, dying to an old self, to a sinful nature, and being risen up in Christ. But Jesus was not sin, sinful. He was sinless. So he didn't need this. He didn't need to die to an old self. He didn't need to die to a sinful past. So then why does he get baptized? It's an act of submission to his Father. And once Jesus is baptized, what are his words to his son? You are my beloved son. This is from Mark 1.11, by the way. You, sorry, lost my place. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This gives us reason to faithfully journey through suffering. Here is the reason for God's testing through authority so that we know we can trust the Father. He wants us to know that we are deeply loved by the Father. God wants us to know the gospel. He wants us to know that we can trust in what Christ has done on the cross. The gospel is news. Does this news that Jesus has died on a cross and three days later rose again affect our lives? We can only know this when it's tested. God as a loving Father knows that it is best for us to be tested in this way so that we will be strong in our faith. He wants us to grow in our faith in Christ. He is determined that this is the best way. So what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ suffering in our place. The God-man who did not deserve any hardship took on hardship of the world and suffered in our place to pay for our sin, our serious sin. And I want to make one very important point here. The gospel does not take away the seriousness of our sin. The gospel takes away the punishment for our sin. The gospel is good news because our sin is so serious. If we take away the seriousness of our sin, we dilute the gospel. We water down the gospel. We water down what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Our sin is serious. The penalty for sin is death. Jesus dies for us in our place. Then he conquers death with resurrection so that we might have new life in him. We are all deeply sinful. We've all strayed like sheep. It's right there in verse 25 of the text. We have all lost our way. 
We have all committed treason against the kingdom of God. We are all rebellious. We all do not deserve the pursuit of God. But Jesus is so good and loving to us as he patiently pursues us. Listen to this, John 10, 3 and 4. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. We're the sheep in this context, just to clear that up. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is now our highest authority. We work for Jesus, and what a great honor and privilege that is for us. He is now our true shepherd, as opposed to government, an overseer, as opposed to our boss or professor. He is the true shepherd and overseer of our souls, and this is good news. And we get to remember that with communion, the Lord's table. So every week at Urban Grace, and I'll get the band to come up, come up now, but uh, every week at Urban Grace, we do communion. And this is symbolic of Jesus' sacrifice. The, the, the cup is wine or juice, and uh, it signifies, symbolizes Jesus' blood and the bread, his broken body for us. Um, and just a, a thing on communion is, uh, this is this is for the family of God. This is for people who believe um, in Jesus, that they have accepted him as their savior. So if you're not a Christian today, I'd, I'd say just hold off on communion. Hold off on, uh, on partaking. It's not, it's not, it's okay. Um, but, uh, but also think about becoming part of the family of God. If God's laid that on your heart, um, think about accepting Jesus as your savior. Jesus has paid for your sin too. There's going to be, I'm going to ask uh, Elroy and Trev and Leslie, they're going to be at the front here after the service. And if you need, and, and I'll be up here too, sorry. Um, and if you need to ask some questions about uh, just what does faith in Jesus look like, um, talk to them. That's going to be the most important conversation that they have today. So, uh, so yeah, let's, uh, let's partake in communion and... Thanks.